Welcome to Down the Garden Path Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Shaw, and I'm kicking off this new season of Down the Garden Path Podcast by releasing some new episodes of vintage radio shows from my past. I know you're going to enjoy them, so stay tuned and have a listen. Specifically tonight's houseplants, and even more specifically, we are going to talk about orchids. So I'm very, very excited uh, that I found a specialist in the field uh, that can help us here on uh, Down the Garden Path. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about him. His name is Bruce Rogers. He's our guest this evening. And he has been growing, hybridizing, and decorating with orchids in the San Francisco Bay Area for over 30 years. He is well known as an orchid expert and has a broad range of services, including commercial work with chains like Nordstrom's and many more. And he continues to work with private clients, building and maintaining orchid collections, creating outdoor gardens, and putting together orchid displays for parties and events. And they make great, uh, definitely great features for that uh, situation. So um, Bruce has appeared on a numerous television, cable, and radio shows and featured in many publications. He's the owner of Bruce Rogers Orchids, and he is the co-owner of an internationally prominent wholesale, Sobralia Nursery, correct me later if I pronounced that wrong, Bruce, Oz Gardens, and uh, Sobralia Rogersania has been named in his honor. And he's also the author of a book titled The Orchid Whisperer. Bruce shares very practical advice on buying and caring for the most popular orchids, as well as unique ideas for displaying them. Thank you very much for being here tonight, Bruce, and welcome to the show. Well, Joanne, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm so glad I'm here in sunny California <laughs> rather than that chilly, chilly area, which I think you guys are calling from. That's right, we are. Very cold I understand. Yes. No orchids in the gardens this time of year, I understand. Well, there, I don't think there's ever any orchids in the gardens, unfortunately, here. Not outdoors, anyway. Um, that's, that's one of the disadvantages. We have to enjoy orchids only in our greenhouses or in our, uh, in our homes. Well, you're going to be happy to know that uh, what's great about orchids, the tropical orchids, they are, you know, I think, the world's number one best-selling houseplant right now. And we have all these beautiful, beautiful flowers that we can find now availability is much, much wider than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But before you venture too much into things, I want to remind you, Joanne, that even in, uh, even in Ontario and British Columbia and all throughout Canada and North, you have those lovely lady slippers. And those lady slipper wildflowers are actually orchids. That's true. And so orchids, mm-hmm. yes, it's true. And so you probably do have orchids growing in your gardens and when, <laughs> if you have a little wooded area. And we're very lucky in that the orchids can grow every, they grow everywhere but the Antarctic. And so they grow everywhere from Canada all the way down to the southernmost tip of South America. And that's what makes another thing makes them so desirable and so international, known as almost every country around the world has, has orchids that they live with. And so it helps make them more popular, besides the tropical types that have gotten so popular. Right, yes. And they have gotten so, um, you know, household name, you know, um, even as a cut flower. Isn't that great? Yeah. I know we're very happy about yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> it's gotten I, so, so popular. I guess any grower who has his own business is very happy about that, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And absolutely. And there's so many different kinds to grow. And so when 
people ask me when we you know now when you go into the big box stores and all and the larger and the larger stores like that, they're carrying these lovely, lovely phalaenopsis with the moth orchids. That you see, those are probably the most common where you guys are, uh-huh. and you see so many of them. And they and they ask, well, isn't that kind of kind of as an organ consultant, doesn't that kind of hurt your business that they're they've lowered in price? And now, on the contrary, it's increased appreciation for them and it's increased the client base. And out of every you know five thousand new people that buy these orchids, I'm going to get one that's really, really interested that will call me back for a job someday. So we're happy about that. Oh, well, that's good. So uh, that's a great place to start as well, Bruce. Uh, talking about, so for the beginner, we thought at least for the first part of the show, we're going to focus on the beginner orchid grower or someone who may not um, have ever tried growing an orchid. What are some of the varieties that you recommend for beginners? Well, right off the bat, I have to recommend, of course, the Phalaenopsis or the moth orchid. And that's the type that we see most generally distributed. And right after that, there's a very popular type called the Cymbidiums, which are the larger plants with the larger skinny leaves and the big, fat, round bulbs. Okay. And those are pretty much the two categories that when you buy orchids, they fall into. They either have big, round bulbs and grow from bulb to bulb, much like a lily, and that's called sympodial growth arm-to-arm in the Latin. And the orchids either grow that way or they grow monopodally, which is one direction, which is how the, which is how the, the very popular moth orchid grows. And so in the marketplace today, we'll find phalaenopsis, cymbidiums, and then what we call oncidiums, or the dancing doll orchids, which now come in a variety of colors, the most popular, of course, being the yellow. But nowadays, there's a lot more colors like reds and oranges involved that one mm-hmm. can buy and purchase. Wow, well, that's great. There's, so there's, there's quite, there's, 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 those are the three best, best orchids that we can find for the beginner. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, 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 of where to buy them nowadays, you know, not only are they available all through, you know, the big box stores, but we're very lucky in that, as we'll talk later on in the show about what kind of orchids to buy, what orchids are best for the house. The, all these different kinds of orchids can also be grown and also be bought at your local orchid society. Oh. And all the way, I know the show's in Canada. In Canada, you guys are so beautifully botanically aware. There's actually a group called the Canadian Orchid Congress, which you can Google. And the Canadian Orchid Congress will give you a vendor list from, uh, that breaks down from, from each uh, province in Canada. And they will list up all the orchids. You know, growers in British Columbia and Alberta, Saskatchewan, okay. Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec. And so you'll be surprised in these little areas as your as your listeners become more involved in the orchids. So you'll be surprised at how uh, there are vendors right around the corner in some situations. Mm-hmm. And what's so wonderful about Canada and also America, both countries have wonderful, wonderful orchid societies and orchid clubs. Mm-hmm. And they exist everywhere throughout Canada and everywhere throughout America, you just have to go to your local information mm-hmm. and or Google local orchid society, and you'll be surprised. And your little neighbor down the street, which you, you thought was kind of strange, might end up being <laughs> one of the best premier phalaenopsis growers in the province. <laughs> so, life holds a lot of surprises in the orchid world. That's for sure. That's for sure. Now, just because there these plants are available at the big box stores, is that the best place for us to buy them? Well, that I, I cover that thoroughly in my book. Mm-hmm. It is like, the, in my opinion, 
the, the best best place to buy an orchid is going to a, the source, going to where the mm. person who's growing the orchids is actually selling them. Okay. That's kind of hard to do in some situations. Yes. There are not, as you'll see, there are not a lot of orchid nurseries throughout camp, there, although there are some. But those, of course, would be the best places to go because those people there have been growing the orchids themselves. They know everything about the orchid, and they know all of its needs and, and, and its dislikes. Probably much, and it's probably much better informed than the local uh, nursery. I'm just generalizing now. I'm, mm-hmm. Remember, I'm just generalizing. Then the local uh, nursery guy at the big box store, mm-hmm. who probably hasn't had that much experience with the phalaenopsis, with with other orchids besides phalaenopsis. But in the same sense, sometimes, like for example, when you go into those big box stores, you're able to, to buy orchids at a good price. Mm-hmm. And so economically, your big box store might be a good place to start off, almost, and that there you're not wasting, you're not spending the family fortune right. buying your first orchid, mm-hmm. which they and they can get expensive just as just as the big box stores hold orchids that are not expensive uh, there's orchids that are very very expensive to buy all throughout Canada so. yeah definitely and I think uh, I've always felt in either the big box stores or the local garden centers is to, to kind of watch when the new shipments come in so to me, with regard to any plant, right, the ones that have been kind of sitting there for, you know, the last eight weeks maybe absolutely. aren't the best ones. But if they've just you been there, a, right? You are a sneaky girl oh, yeah. after my heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are absolutely correct. If, if you have the delivery date of your local big box store down and you know when they're coming in, mm-hmm. you just lurk there until that truck pulls up and you can be the first one to pull those plants off the truck. And it's and it's and it's it, there are things to look out for mm-hmm. when you're buying these orchids. Okay. When you buy the orchids and you and you pick them up, first of all, feel free to handle them. Okay. You have to touch them. And if you look at them, sometimes I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but they can be very loose in the pot. And you never, never really want to buy an orchid that's loose in its pot. Really? If you pick okay. that, if you pick up that plant, you should be able to pick up the entire plant. Without it being loose and flopping around. Okay. I, I, do, I do not encourage you to buy an orchid that's not well potted. Okay. Because usually there's a also, clear pot. Sorry to interrupt. There's usually like a clear pot inside another pot. and But yeah, when I've, I've handled them, they usually, even in the roots in that clear pot, kind of pop out easily. So you're saying that's not a good sign. Yeah, the, the, the better rooted they are, the better secure they are in the container, uh, the, 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 the more generally you can count on them to last a little longer to be a little more secure, to be a little more responsive in, in, in their growth and their growth habits. But one thing is you're looking at the plant. When you look at it, you want to look at it. There's a lot of little tricks okay. that you can look at. For example, when you look at the flowering stem coming up, if you look at that stem and there's like, you know how they put the little wires on to hold the stems against the little stick mm-hmm. to keep them, you know, nice and erect. If you see more than two of those little wires, of those little twisties holding that stem to that stick, you, I want you to kind of give it a second look. Because if you sometimes if you see three or four, what's happened is is somewhere along the line that flowering stem has gotten broken in shipping or broken just mm-hmm. as it's getting ready to ship. Mm-hmm. And rather than just cut the stem off, they go for the economic advantage of perhaps bending it back and hoping it would self mend itself. And so they add extra twisties to keep that to keep that stem erect on the on 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 the stick. But in reality, if you undo the if you undo the twisties, 
sometimes their symptoms fall over completely broken in half, which, okay. which you were unable to see because of the twist issues. Right. Yes. And there's other things to look at, too. And nowadays, up in Canada especially, it's interesting, because as you notice nowadays, those when they, you buy, that, especially that big box type, we'll cover that first, those big box scaling sure. or the moth orchid types. You notice that they're in that in that moss, that kind of white orangish moss now, okay. in the clear pots. Now, that, this is very interesting for your listeners right off the bat. That is called sphagnum moss. Mm-hmm. And sphagnum moss is primarily what's being used in the, in the moth orchid phalaenopsis export retail world today because it's a good medium. It, it generally keeps the plant in the pot. And it's easy to keep the pot. It's much more easy to keep the, the plants here in the pot than, let's say, uh, fir bark, which is what is normally used. Which is what we used to always see would be the medium-sized orchid bark. Okay. And this, this new sphagnum moss really, you kind of stuff it in there and keep it really secure in the pot. But it's a kind of there's a couple things that are kind of tricky about it. And one thing that I want your I want, I want the listeners to know is that, for example, everything else, every other kind of plant in your garden, I'm sure, all of your trees, anything that's in a pot always dries from the top down, right? Because water's heavier and mm-hmm. it's always dry on the top of the pot. Then as you get deeper, it gets a little moisture in the bottom of the pot is where it's the wettest, which is generally the rule. But with the sphagnum moss, it actually dries from the bottom up oh. due to the capillary action. It's called the cap- capillary action okay. in the moss. And so it's very deceiving. Because you'll go in, you'll buy the orchid, you'll bring it home, and you look at the top of the pot, and the moss will be wet. But in reality, thank, and thank goodness for those clear plastic pots. If you look at it, if you look at, at the pot from the side, you'll see that only the top of the, of the pot is, is still wet. And indeed, all the bottom is, is almost bone dry. Okay. That's very unusual. It's, it's one thing, it's a little, it's a little something that, that I think all of the gardeners who are now starting to grow orchids in this moss, in this the moss, have to adjust to right away. And how we water the how we water the orchids that we buy from the big box stores is when you first bring them home and you're bringing them over to your faucet to water them, once they once you look at it from the side and you see the whole pot is completely wet, kind of judge the weight of the pot. And that's an easy way to to, to judge how how often is water because you want that pot to weigh about that much. Okay. And and by by just as Joanne, as you can tell, if it's wet on the top, we'd all assume it's, it's wet all the way through. But that's not the case okay. with the small worker types. Okay. So it's okay to leave them in this magnum moss. You just need to account oh, yeah. for that with the watering. It's not like something as soon as yeah, you get no, it home. No, no, no. They no, they grow very, very, very well in that. Okay. And actually, and in a way, they're easier to uh, up pot because then. Uh, the moss takes a long time to decompose. They use very good quality moss coming out of Taiwan. And it takes the moss longer to decompose. So you can just add, when you to pot it up, when it comes time to repot it, you can just add more moss around the outside. You know, you can pop it out of the pot, add a little uh, rim of, of a fresh moss around the outside, tuck the new roots in, and tuck it down into a little larger pot. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways, it makes the maintenance a lot easier on these field mosses as well. And you don't have run into problems like, we used to run out, especially up there in Canada, where you would use the fir bark, and, you'd, and that would stay wet. And, it, and there's a very popular mold called snow mold, S-N-O-W-M-O-L-D, which occurs when you're using that orchid bark. Okay. And it occurs quite often. It's, I'm more familiar with the uh, northwest of, of, of Canada, mm-hmm. being British Columbia in that area. But oftentimes when I go up there and look at some medium collections, 
and problems they have in the greenhouses there. Uh, it's it's a snow mold is very it's very prevalent problem because it uh, it does get cold up there. And even though we have artificial heat, yeah. that snow mold is very easy to set in. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So it's okay to stay with this magnum moss, um, but just to keep in mind about the watering. All right. Yes. Um, and uh, now if the plant that you purchase does, or the ones that may, you might have at home, is in orchid bark, is do you think that's fine, or should we be transplanting them into the sphagnum? No, I think that most... But how I do it and how I encourage my clients to do it, if a plant has started off in sphagnum moss, like, for example, most of the phalaenopsis have, I leave it in sphagnum okay. moss. Now, if a plant has started off its life, obviously, in bark, and fine bark, medium bark, like much like a cymbidium or cattleya, I leave it in that, in, that same, in that same bark. I leave it in that same medium, just so it costs less stress and less in the situ- bad situations mm-hmm. for you know the the, the new growth. Uh, as we were talking before about uh, growing tips, one thing I wanted to, to point out that is getting that it's the good news in the orchid world is for a long time when you know, all the new orchids are bred and they're bred and bred you see all these new orchids, uh, but nowadays people are starting to breed for fragrance, wow. and so we're starting to get fragrance back in the orchids. And people say, well, the moth orchids aren't fragrant at all, but they are. Almost all of the species, which are the original plants of the Phalaenopsis or the moth orchids, are all fragrant. And last time I was down at the local flower market here in San Francisco, I was pleasantly surprised by a few of the yellow flowered ones. Now, sometimes you can find the yellow flowered Phalaenopsis, the, okay. the moth orchids. Mm-hmm. I want you, especially Joanne, next time you go in there shopping for them, I want you to go in there and give all those plants a sniff. Okay. Because you might be surprised. As I said, there's new varieties that are now being bred because they realize that when you have fragrance, you have the whole picture. You got yeah. the whole banana split. Yeah. You got the fragrance, you got the beauty, you got it all. Okay. And so I think a lot of the smarter growers are now starting to breed just for fragrance, to get fragrance back into flower. Because the scent, the fragrance, is one of the first things to genetically fall. When you're breeding plants, okay, fragrance is always the weakest genome, so that's yeah. the first thing to kind of fall off. Yeah. So that's kind of fun too to start sniffing before you buy. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And so that yeah, it, sure. people were just trying to reproduce them so quickly that that, like you said, the the focus on the fragrance kind of dropped off. Yeah, they got more into the into the into the color of the flowers and okay. the, the the how they breed, how they bloom, and when they bloom. They pay more attention to that than they did to the fragrance. Mm. And the fragrance, of course, as I say, it is a recessive gene, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, orchids, there's so many orchids, and you can't, you can't, every time you generalize, there's at least 10 things that are breaking your rule <laughs> because uh, there's so many orchids. Yes. But nowadays, especially, Joanne, let me tell you one group of orchids that is now coming coming to market in Canada because you guys are bringing a lot of them in through, uh, uh, through the Florida side as well is what we call the Miltonias, or the pansy orchids. Okay. And those are those orchids look just like pansies. pansies. And with those orchids, fragrance is really coming back with the war. So all the breeders figured out about five or six years ago, this is a wonderful... Miltonias are a wonderful, or now they're actually called Miltoniopsis. The old word, the old name is Miltonias. But they're so wonderful because not only do they look like a pansy, but they can smell like a rose. So here you have a beautiful orchid that lasts for a month, 
that looks like a pansy that smells like a rose. Wow. So it's been very fun, very fun, very, very fun. To, well, to, I will to definitely have to. I'm trying to Google it here, trying to multitask and uh, Google a picture of it. But uh, that is great to know. That's the thing about this industry is it's always changing, right? There's always something new. Oh, there's always something new, and there's always someone trying to get the you get ahead of the other guys. And, yes. Uh, there's there's people that like me that work on new kinds of orchids, and one thing that is a, a new a new movement. But there are general movements, and we, as you realize, we just got over like a big failing office of the moth orchid movement. But what's coming up next is going to be the miniature orchid boom. Okay. More and more big growers are realizing that in small houses or in houses where it's hard, especially in like in New York. Or San Francisco or Los Angeles, where the things are very dense, the population is very dense, that a lot of the people are really getting interested in the miniature orchids. Okay. Because almost every single orchid, the Cattleyas, the Miltonias, the, even the moth orchids, can all be found in miniature orchids, which can be one-fifth the size wow. as a larger orchid. Okay. Even miniature cymbidiums. There are cymbidiums that are only six inches tall. So it's really, really exciting that now there's this whole new marketplace coming up that you'll be seeing in, in this, this coming season and, and certainly in the years ahead, you'll be noticing that a lot of workers are, are getting smaller so you can grow them. So they're easier to grow on the windowsill. Okay. They're easier to grow you know, all through the house because mm -hmm. it's hard when you have 15 failing offices that aren't blooming growing them because where do you put them and right. you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But if they're only in one-inch or two-inch pots, it's much easier to take care of them and find a place to grow them, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's a good point when they're not blooming. That's right. Um, so a couple more questions for you regarding purchasing. So, I mean, definitely looking for those extra clips and make sure that the stem is not broken. Um, sometimes the roots, I know myself, I'm always wondered about the roots are kind of sticking out of the bark, sometimes more. Isn't that exciting? I know, it looks yeah. a little wild looking, yeah. isn't it? Should yeah, you... but what do you do with that? People ask me mm -hmm. that question. What do you do with those roots that sticking out? When you just buy them from the stores, and if you wet the moss, and if you wet the roots themselves, the roots become very pliable, mm -hmm. and you can actually just stick those roots back into the pot. Okay. You can slip that whole pot out of that little clear plastic pot that it's in, and, and go ahead and bring that, stick those little roots right against that moss, and just kind of squeeze it a little bit, and you can put that whole pot right back in the same in the same the whole, the whole plant back in the same pot okay. without even having to, to increase it. But if you do want to up-pot it, you can buy some more of that sphagnum moss and maybe get a pot that's maybe half an inch larger okay. and go ahead and split it around and just slip it in like that. Okay. So that's good news, too. Yeah. You, okay. can do a, you can do a lot. All There's right. not to worry about. We don't want to cut those roots. Okay. Cutting those roots is very bad. Okay. Um, and those roots are good to know because when you guys are, when you, I know that a lot of you Canadians like to go down to the Caribbean and stuff and, and go down and go down to the sunny areas and, and look around. Mm -hmm. And all those places like Mexico, they're all full of orchids. Mm -hmm. And that is actually a little trick for finding an orchid on a tree. Is when when I'm down there looking for orchids, I, you keep, if you try to look for the flower in the tree or the plant, you'll never find it. But it's very easy to spot those white roots on the tree branch. Yes. And that is how we follow back the roots, and that's how we find the orchids. Okay, okay. Well, that's good to know because I wasn't sure if there was something there whether you should have less roots showing or or not. Or, and I did wonder about cutting them too. So that's good. So no, definitely no cutting. No cutting. No you cutting. cannot cut those roots. Excellent. Absolutely not. Okay. And um, and usually, if you're just buying a new one, the chances of it needing to be potted up 
rate when you purchase it is probably slim, right? Very, very slim. Okay. Very, very slim. And the thing is, people say, well, when do you repot an orchid? Well, if it's bursting out of its pot, then it's time to, it's time to plant it there. But the best time to do it is after the, after the plant has bloomed. Okay. Because, this, again, this is, this is speaking in, 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 in large, broad terms. Right. Because there's exceptions to this rule. But generally speaking, it's after, we, after the orchid blooms and the flower dies, you'll see that the orchid starts setting up new growths. And that's usually the best time to bloom, okay. to, to, to repot that orchid. Okay. And here's another little trick for the moth kinds of orchids I'm going to share with you. Okay. You know when, uh, Joanne, when, when, they're, when they're almost done blooming and, you go into, and you're looking at those orchids think, and you go into the florist and you go into the expensive florist, and you see, oh, there's those moth orchids, but they have two and three and four spikes, flower spikes from the same pot. Okay. And there's tricks of doing that. And I'll tell you a couple of tricks right now. <laughs> the best way is if you buy an orchid and it has one flower spike coming up or two flower spikes coming up, these days you can find them with two as easily with one. What you do, if let's just say there's one flower spike coming up. Okay. As those flowers are opening and then dying, and the flower buds open and then they die. You look at the very last flower on the stem, and when that flower, the very last flower starts to open, and before it dies, it's very important that you do it before the flower dies. Okay. So when the last flower on the very end of the stem is opening up, what you do is you count back three flowers from that last flower and each time the flower stem touches the the, the flower little the flower touches the stem, that where that happens, where the flower touches the, the flowering stem is called the note. Okay. The flower note. And if you count back three nodes from the very end and you break it off or cut it off. Okay. Take a pair of scissors and just count back one, two, three flowers and cut that thing off so you have this long naked stem basically, it will almost hundred percent of the time send out a branching flower spike from the same old stem and that is how when that is how the professionals how we get two and three and four and five flower stems on a single plant at once because okay. if you wait till the flower is dead you can't do it the plant won't do it but if you cut them before the last flower dies it'll send out a side branch and sometimes more than just one side branch sometimes it'll send out two and three side branches wow. and that's how we get so many flowers for the stem and with my private clients and in the greenhouses, when we do this continually, it's not uncommon for those flowers to stay in bloom for a year, for eight months to a year. And that's what that's a goal to be done with, too, because you can extend the life of the flower that way very, very easily. So the flower that was the last flower, then that means it will start, stay blooming longer? Yes. You, the, that last, when that last flower dies, you look at that flowering stem. Mm -hmm. And you count back three flowers, and you cut the flowering stem, so it'll be like a tall stem, right? Right. And then it'll send out a branch from one of those flower nodes below where you cut. And it'll send out one or two branching stems of new flowers. Okay. And then in the meantime, the plant itself will send up a new, a separate new flower spike usually. Wow. That encourages it to send up spikes, generally speaking. And so that's how you get two and three and four spikes on a plant at the same time and have them last for up to up to a year. Wow. Easily, easily, easily up to, up to a year. 
So wow. that's kind of exciting to know. That is very exciting yeah. to know that, that we can extend, uh, extend the bloom time. Yes. And that, uh, and that's actually, that's found in my book as well. And here's another little trick for you. It's going to be fun for, fun for us. Cause I know you're, it's, it's, it's good to, it's, it's good to have these little, these little tricks lined up. Yes. So we, if a lot of times when the flower is gone and you've cut the old stem off because you haven't heard me talk and so you went ahead and cut the old dead flowery stem off. Okay. And you're just left with that plant and it's been a year and sometimes, oh, it's been two years and it still hasn't bloomed. Mm-hmm. How to get it to bloom. Here's a couple of hints for that. Okay. We're, we're I hope everybody's listening and taking notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, these little things do work. But here's a fun one, because uh, a lot of times what orchids will need is they need a little dip in the temperature. Because usually if they're in your house, if they're in your living room, I bet you that living room stays between 60 and 80, mm-hmm. or, or nowadays between 55 or 60 and 70 all day long. Right. Or, you know, between 60 and 80 all day long. And so what's fun to do, what, 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 we, what, what we've done professionally with is we dip the temperatures of the whole plant. Okay. And sometimes, like, for example, I just came back to Florida, where I actually, they took that little phalaenopsis and they had one of those nice new modern refrigerators with those uh, fruit bins in the refrigerators yes. that don't get things very cold, but just a very, sm- you know, she slips them in there. She slips in the refrigerator every night for a couple of nights. Okay. And that's how she gets, she gets those little phalaenopsis workers to bloom that way. Is you cool them off. Right. Sometimes you can, if, if you leave an area where it doesn't freeze, you can leave them outside for a night or two. Okay, or and maybe in our they, garages here where... Yes, or maybe in the garage. It's, you don't want to get too cold. You don't want to go down to freezing. Right. But you want to bring it down to 50 degrees maybe. Okay. And then just, just for, you know, just for just for the evening, just for the, not, for, not for all day long, just for a few hours. And that and that low temperature will, will trigger that plant into sending out a new flower spike. Really? So that's fun to do too. Yeah, There's all these little sneaky tricks you can do to get them to get them uh, go ahead to go ahead and go on. Okay. But it's uh, so 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 far we've covered the that to get them to blooming, and then also uh, when you're buying orchids to start looking out for the miniature orchids. Mm-hmm. And as I and I don't want your viewers to forget about that Canadian Orchid Conference in Canada, which has a great list of uh, of vendors. I just googled it myself, and I uh, I'm amazed at how many. Like even in, in in provinces like like British Columbia, there's quite a few, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different people that sell orchids. So it's easy not to get away from the general. You, you you can get you can get as deeply into the hobby as you want to get. Right. Which is wonderful in Canada and the United States. Right. And another here's another great tip for when okay. you're if you're just starting into the orchid world, is every orchid society everywhere around the world will have an orchid show. Mm-hmm. Always, Joanne, always go to the orchid show. Yes. And you should go, especially you should go. Well, you want to hear something funny? With, yes. Guess, <laughs> I don't know if you found this out with Google, but uh, the big orchid show in Toronto was this past uh-huh. weekend. <laughs> Did you go? I did not go, no. Uh, Think of what you missed. I know, I know. It was so on my mind, too, because of our upcoming show. But the Toronto Toronto Botanical Gardens here in Toronto had a big uh, orchid show this past weekend. And Valentine's Day weekend, too, of all things. So uh, Yeah, well, that's very understandable. Yeah. First of all, you have a very, very well-known 
uh, uh, orchid collection there in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they Me have too. very nice cooler growing things, which is kind of unique. They have some good cooling. From what I, I haven't been up there personally, but from what I understand. Yes. Now, um, uh, I'm supposed to be going up to Edmonton, I guess, in, in 2017. They've already booked me to go up there and give a little talk up oh, there. Oh, wow. But, uh, every, you'll be surprised. Almost every community in Canada, and certainly every large city, is going to have an orchid society. Right. And all of these societies are going to have orchid shows. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the best places to buy orchids there is. Okay. Other than going to the big box store, I would guess the best place to go is, like you mentioned before, going right to the grower. And then number two would be going and buying them at an orchid show. Okay. And orchids are so popular, they, they also have them at flower shows. Right. A lot of orchid producers okay. are now selling at flower shows to Timothy Four. Okay. But then they also have just shows that are just orchids, and those are the absolute best places to yeah. go okay. because they have vendors that follow these shows around and the vendors come from all over the world and you'll see some fabulous fun need to grow orchids there but joanne before you buy an orchid what are we going to do again before we if there's four orchids there what's going to decide which one we're going to buy i don't know we forgot already. We're going to smell them. Oh, smell them. The smell. That's so okay. People are so unused to them. Yeah. For being fragrant. Okay. It's a hard mindset to get ourselves readjusted into. Yes. But as I say, especially here at the orchid show, that's where you can find those ones. Okay. They're really lovely fragrances. Really f- and the fragrances fragrant. are so, are so much fun. Yeah. To love. And, okay. and they And they do so much, and they hold so many secrets. Because there's. As we say, orchids are so many different kinds of orchids. Right. And you knew that vanilla beans were an orchid, right, Joanne? I did you not know that? know that. Oh, that is probably one of the most famous of all the food-producing orchids. And quite a few, few uh, orchids produce food. Okay. But certainly the most famous is the vanilla orchid. It's the vanilla And that orchid. is one of the few orchids, and it grows, it grows like a vine, kind of unique in the way it grows. But that's one I want to encourage your viewers to get. I was uh, the last time I was up in British Columbia. Um, no, excuse me. This was in, it was Vancouver. I I I had a, I was invited for dinner at this house, and going all the way around the kitchen window above the sink, just growing right onto the wood and the paint and the tile was a vanilla vine. Wow! And it was and they get to be so long. It circled this big window three times. It must have been twelve feet long if you straightened it out. Wow! And then and then all through the summertime. It opens up little teeny white flowers, and the woman takes a little toothpick, and she pollinates that little flower by hand, and that makes a seed pod, and the seed pod is the vanilla bean. Okay. That is what, when I mean, you're looking at a vanilla bean, yep. you're looking at an orchid seed pod wow. that's been dried. Well, we learn so something that, every every week here on Down the Garden Path, so thank you. That was, that was very interesting. Oh yes, that's so that's that's one little one, Joanne. I want to put that on your list of orchids to buy since okay. talking to Bruce. Okay. Put that vanilla right I, on the top of your list. All right, I wrote it down, so I definitely will. Um, Bruce, can we talk uh, uh, briefly because time is flying? Oh my goodness, there's so much information. Can you talk briefly about um, the conditions where we should keep our orchids in our homes? Um, you know, the water, the light, the soil. I guess sure. we've already talked about soil, so maybe water and, and light, because that's my challenge. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure where I can the, put it. So Yeah, the best place is to put, uh, the best place is to grow your orchids. Now, um, I, personally, I, I think overall, and myself included, the, the easiest places I have growing them is in the kitchen. Okay. It's usually because of the humidity. Mm-hmm. The humidity is usually good. 
the lights could morning sun where it's nice and bright. Only the film office orchids, the moth orchids don't require a lot of light. They don't require any direct sun, okay. but they like it to be nice and bright. Mm. But orchids like the Cattleya orchid or the Cymbidium orchid or the Miltonias, they like a little morning or afternoon sun. So you kind of have to figure out which room in your house has the right light to begin with. Okay. And which room has the best humidity. And so that's why usually the kitchens and most certainly the bathrooms. If you have a nice you know, uh, morning-facing bathroom that stays pretty warm and uh, it stays pretty humid, and if you put your little orchids in there, they'll probably get watered pretty easily because you're in there brushing your teeth every mm-hmm. morning. So you know you get in there to, to brush your teeth and get a chance to water your orchid then. And the same goes with the kitchen. Because uh, it's kind of easier the closer they are to watering. Okay. Because as you well know, if they're, if they're off in a, in, you know, a bedroom someplace where there's no sink close by, yeah. it's a little harder to keep get those guys watering. Okay. And, to, and usually bedrooms aren't the most humid places to uh, uh, grow. In right. But there's all these little tricks. I'm sure you've seen the whole thing about the little pans with the rocks, mm-hmm. just like you do with some yep. of your house plants. Yes. You just put your saucer down there, you put rocks in there, and you know, you so, so you keep the immediate humidity around the plant up. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, but as I say, if you start growing miniature orchids and, and they're smaller size pots, then it's, it's, if you're in a kitchen or something, you can just hit them with your spray oh. nozzle from the oh, sink. Okay. Perfect. And it makes it very easy to grow. Yes. Now, Gary's wife, Elaine, has some beautiful orchids, which I saw on my on the table on my way down here. And she has been very successful at getting her orchids to re- re-bloom. And mm-hmm. um, she mentioned she uses ice cubes. And once a week, she puts ice cubes in her um, orchid. What do you think? Well, you know, if she's as successful with that, I, I don't like to argue with success okay. in a particular <laughs> situation. But, Joanne, you know, I've gone down to the jungles a lot. Yes. I've been down looking for orchids <laughs> in the jungles, and I've gone by myself. I, I have clients that where we, they pay me to go down to find orchids, and I've been down. And in all the times I've been down to that jungle, not one time have I seen ice cubes <laughs> in the tree branches. <laughs> Because, Joanne, if there were ice cubes yeah. in the tree branches, we would be making cocktails. That's right. We'd have martinis <laughs> in the jungle. <laughs> but uh, I just don't see that. Yes. And I just can't recommend that method of watering uh, because it's, I don't want to, you know, it's Gary's wife and, <laughs> and it's worked for her and I'm for not sure. going to rock the boat. Right, right. But, now, I don't know that it's it's the, the coldness of them. I have found that to be successful with poinsettias here as well, in the sense that it helps you prevent overwatering. Yeah, that's, it, that's what the most appealing factor is, obviously, is, is, the, is, is the slow release of the right. actual water. As the ice cube slowly melts, it releases it slowly. It's able to be absorbed quickly. However, I think it, the, the, the much better way to water your orchid plant would be to take it out of the pot, it's being put into just to be, you know, as you're decorating with, usually put inside a nice container. Right. Take it out of the container pot, bring it over to the sink, uh, water it with water that is not cold and not warm and not hot, but certainly room temperature and above. Okay. You want it a little, you don't want it cold. You want it just a little bit, just like, just like a falling rain would be in the jungle. Okay. How, you know, that falling rain in Hawaii, yes. the falling rain, 
down in the Caribbean. That rain's never really that cold. Yeah. And so, um, and 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 then water the plant completely thoroughly. So you get all the foliage wet. You get the the the, the medium, the bark, the the sphagnum moss, whatever you're using, is completely wet. And I think that method keeps the plant better watered. If you do that. You know, if you do that maybe the, once a week it, uh, when you pick it up by weight, however often it needs it, I think that's a more efficient way okay. of overall would increase the health of the plant. Okay. And also, when you get the whole plant wet, you're also fighting things like insects. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, spider mites, uh, mealybugs, because those can all be used to get washed off when you water the plant. Oh, that's a whereas good point. With, yeah. You, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, whereas when you just use the ice cube, you're just kind of watering locally, and you're not really doing much to increase the overall humidity. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's just. You know, I was avoiding this term, but down here in California, we call that the lazy way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary apologized. Yeah. I don't mean to incur. I'm sure up in the Northwest, well, where ice is a way of life. Yes. <laughs> well, Bruce, I just want you to probably, you know, probably. Old, Things that I don't even can can appreciate. Well, we want but, you to uh, know we, that but, we are lazy. <laughs> so that's why. So there's nothing bad to be said about that. I, uh, I encourage that lifestyle myself as much as I can. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So at any rate, if she's having success. Yes. That's why I don't blow against the wind. Yes. Because in each environment, I, I and this is what's great about work. I've gone to places where someone is like Gary's what is completely breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, so to speak, and yet the orchids look great and yes. they're blooming great, mm-hmm. and so that's why I'm always a little hesitant to blow because everybody has their own little way of gardening and their own little style and, and their own little way they interpret what's going on. And as long as they're reaping success, I that's they're doing it the correct. That's way. right. Oh, and good. And it's only in general terms that with the beginners that we try to uh, uh, get them going. And for goodness' sakes, there's actually a whole. That that I think is funny because it's a, ever since that's come up, it's like oftentimes I'll be speaking and I'll, someone will bring me a martini. So they say that's the only way I like ice. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that, uh, you know, when you get the whole plant wet, yes. and you really you really avoid things like spider mite infestations and aphids and okay. stuff like that. We can talk about bugs for a minute. Sure. I'm, I'm pretty opinionated about bugs as okay. well. Okay. Because um, um, I'm an old hippie from Berkeley and here in California, and uh, one thing I'm going to work is for 30 years, and I, uh, since I left to do commercial places, I've never sprayed okay. and any kind of bad herbicide or pesticide, and I really believe in that, especially in the homes where we live ourselves yeah. and our pets are and our children are, and you know, I think that's a. Uh, so let me just give you a couple. Of, I give a couple of quick tips for my book. But uh, one thing that I use a lot of for just for uh, just for aphids, for example, first of all, if you have good culture, bugs are never a problem. If you do a good job, and if you're good about watering and keeping mm-hmm. an eye on things, bugs never have a chance to become a problem. But if you do have problems, let's say with mealy bugs, mealy bugs, you can take a little Joy dishwasher soap and use the kind that doesn't have the uh, bacteria stuff. Okay. You know the kind that stops yeah. it. Use that just the regular old Joy dishwasher soap. And um, uh, and that with the and I use that with a seventy um, percent alcohol rubbing alcohol, you know that you, yeah. you know the regular rubbing alcohol, not the ninety percent rubbing alcohol, the isotope, the seventy percent isotope okay. rubbing alcohol, and I pour a little bit of that of the rubbing alcohol in the little container with a little bit of the soap, 
with a little warmer water, and that takes care of almost every everything. And the only uh, bug that doesn't really take care of all of the soap helps smother it. And the soap isn't doing really much. The soap is acting more like a spreader. Right. You, you know, you guys are all gardeners, so it's acting more like a spreader for the alcohol. Okay. To, you know, to, to to get into those nooks and crannies, which are kind of harder for just the regular water to get in. Right. Now, would you use a spray that. bottle? So then add that to a spray yeah, bottle and just spray it? spray bottle. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then what's great when you don't use any poison, you never have to worry about things too much either. Right. Just using a little warm soap or at the worst a little 70 percent rubbing alcohol then it's you know you don't really have to worry you know yeah. you know you know it's do you know what i mean if you have a little left over you can rub it on your legs and massage your legs <laughs> and you feel better <laughs> you think you feel a lot. yeah there's no harm really, right there's no chemicals drinking, exactly you don't have to worry about the dog drinking it and all that yeah much, you know and, and all those other factors and also uh, i do so what about scale the okay. scale i know everybody hates scale Yes. And here's what I found out about scale. If you're in the house and all of a sudden your orchids are getting scale, you have ants. Usually it's because of ants. Okay. And usually if you can get rid of the ants, if you see scale, you'll have ants. Get rid of the ants, then you start to deal with the scale that's on the plants. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have to spend a little time. Okay. You have to spend a little time with a little alcohol and a little Q-tip and slowly, and slowly just go over that plant millimeter by millimeter and just get rid of all the scale. Because even spraying the scale with, with, with the pesticides that do spray scale, that do uh, say they can kill scale, those are so uh, poisonous and mm-hmm. they're so ineffective, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. just basically ineffective. Because where scale hides, you have to, you can't get the nozzle in there, so to speak, anyway. Right. It's usually like hiding in sheets. So I always pull my sheets down, any dry sheet. I clean, clean up the orchid as much as you can before you treat it with any kind of bug. And then you get more success. Yes. So. And these are great tips because uh, I don't know. I know it's different in the U.S., but here in Canada, they've actually banned all our systemic uh, chemicals. Isn't that great? Yeah. So even for yeah, outside as really well as inside. Yeah. They... Yeah. No, it's, it's really, you should be really, that's, I, I had heard about, I had heard that about Canada. And I'm, you should be so proud of yourself. Oh, that's Because good. in America, we're so chemically oriented. It's mm-hmm. so sad. Uh, only in I live in San Francisco, and that's probably the most progressive city in in the United States. Yeah. Uh, when in terms of things like this, and 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 for example, in our we we we've done the same thing. We don't use any stomachs. We don't spray pesticides, herbicides, or at all in our parks, which is great. Okay. And you know, it's been amazing. You know, the uh, it's been years now, and that grass is still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Despite never having been sprayed with, you know. It's, and so are the weeds. Yeah. The weeds would have been there anyway. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, and the truth is, I have greenhouses where with orchids, where they're right next to greenhouses with orchids that have been sprayed with herbicides and pesticides. And you can walk into those greenhouses at any day of the year, any time of the year. And first of all, you're always going to find a bug or two in the greenhouse because that's the nature of the beast, mm-hmm, right? Yes. Especially larger greenhouses. But you're never going to find any more or any less. Mm-hmm. And a greenhouse that's been sprayed, and a greenhouse that just has good culture. Wow. And one thing you can't do in the house, which is too bad, but you can do it to a certain extent, but uh, is you can't use IPM, which is what I use a lot in my greenhouses, which is integrated pesticides. This, for example, one of the reasons why I don't have any, any, uh, uh, any anything like spider mites okay. is because I have predator spider mites mm. that I've bought and right. have established themselves. Okay. That really work, Joanne. These yeah. things that work. I haven't seen any mites in my greenhouses in years. Right. Or they can come in 
and you can actually squint your eyes and identify the predator spider mites and move them into the plants to have the regular spider mites, and within days, all those other mites are gone. The bad mites are gone, and all okay. the stuff are the good little mites, and they don't bother you at all anyway. Wow. And things like ladybugs and lacewings, and I'm sure that you guys know all about Yes, those, yeah, we've done, we do have that. Nema- nematodes are, yeah. You don't want to yeah. spray any poisons, and, yeah. and what's very sad is uh, uh, most of the places, books you, they, that you referred to, that's the first thing they advise. Right. I'm so proud of Canada because you guys are so upfront and so on time about that. Yeah, that's yeah. That there was a bit of a shock because it was very publicized as far as outside. So, you know, in our homes and on our lawns, we can't do it. But nobody really, I yeah. think everybody was so focused on the outside that nobody realized that it impacted the inside too. So then, you know, this, that desperate person who comes into the nursery with spider mite or, you know, scale or something all over their house plant and they're like, wait a minute, sure. no, where's that, where's the really strong stuff? You know, and yeah, it's, give me that stuff that works. Yeah, for sure. As opposed to this... You know, we we tell them we try to yeah you you try to sell them the soap right the 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 soap uh, but really they can make their own soap so uh, for the most part there's there's lots of recipes that can be found on the internet and stuff that can be found but those systemics are right there was one there was one systemic they used about 15 years ago I was so shocked where they would spray the plants and and almost every they got very popular and what it is uh, you know the chemical companies have to go and try to make a buck they were trying to make a buck. And uh, they gave out a lot of samples and stuff, so a lot of people tried it. And it was a systemic, but the the plant itself ended up smelling like the systemic. Yeah. And it was awful because yeah. you touched this plant, and then you touched your hand, yeah. and it was horrible. Yeah. And, uh, and and I remember that the, I saw that, and I said, this thing's going to be against the law in six yeah. months. And, and it actually took about three years. But three years later, that became against, that particular product yeah. became against the law okay. as well. Because obviously it was doing more, you know, they don't, it wasn't tested well enough, obviously, mm-hmm. to be effective. So it's, but as I say, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting what you can do. And, yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting. Okay. Uh, the, the, the choices are available to us these days. Because you can pretty much buy any kind of predatory bugs that you want to. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of people don't like ladybugs in their living room. Yeah, well, I think we've had a hard time importing. We get them from California, apparently. Um, And with the fires that you had last year, there was a real, we had a real shortage because we had, uh, there's a company, a local company whose name has just gone right out of my head. And she was a guest on our show, um, Environmental Factor. And and Lorelai owns that that company and they usually import the the, uh, ladybugs. And there was yeah, a real yeah. shortage, uh, so yeah, hopefully... Yeah, there, there was a shortage. Yeah. She's absolutely correct. Uh, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're really lucky with... Uh, uh, we have a strong horticultural uh, uh, department in, in the state of California and, and in San Francisco, too, because there's, you know, there's only a few nurseries left in San Francisco. And uh, so we usually get everything we want in terms of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh. I heard, I heard, I'd heard that the... Uh, uh, I heard uh, clients complaining because usually they had so many products that were available on the retail level. Uh, ladybugs were so much more available, but then this year they just weren't. Uh-huh. They just didn't have those. Yeah. They didn't have numbers, I guess. Yeah. Those little packages, those little boxes. Yes, those yes, little, for uh, sure. Paper boxes, and they those those all those stands seem like they're pretty much empty. Yeah. This year, so that's too bad. Well, hopefully they so, will regenerate. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so too. And then a lot of times people are just being careful as well. Yes. You're trying to be a little more careful about uh, the harvesting of the ladybugs. Mm-hmm. And more people trying to do it as a farming thing rather than taking them from the wild because unfortunately a lot of these ladybugs can take them from the wild. Right. And because there's, there's certain plants that they 
that they nest on. But then, in all fairness, I have, uh, like, for example, uh, dill is a uh, is a plant that they will be drawn to at certain times of the year. Okay. And you can just you can just buy dill and plant it. Yeah. And next thing you know, at a certain time of year, it's covered with ladybugs. You know where they come from. <laughs> so it's a good deal. Yeah, so. Well, wow. hopefully those ladybugs got out of those fire zones in time. Yes, so. yes, for sure. Well, we have, like, whipped through this hour. I can't believe it. No commercial breaks or anything. So there was lots to talk about as far as orchids go. I did want you to have some time to promote yourself and tell us a bit about your book and where well, people can find I, it. I, I, yeah, I'm very lucky. I have a book out, and uh, it wasn't my idea. The moniker wasn't my idea. But uh, Chronicle Books, which is a very well-known publishing house here in the uh, in California, called me up one day, and they said, well, Bruce, we, we want you to uh, write us a book on orchids. And I was so excited because I'll tell you why, Joanne. I, 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 I myself work on this one orchid called Sobralius. Yes. And it's a wonderful orchid. It grows like a bamboo. It has a flower like a cattleya. And I thought, finally, after my 20 years of working with these Sobralius, they're finally recognizing my work. And my editor laughed and said, Bruce, that's ridiculous. Nobody knows what a Sobralia is. Nobody's going to buy a book about Sabrina because no one knows who Sabrina is. We want you to write a book called The Orchid Whisperer. And I said, oh, that is so nice of you to ask me to write that book, but that is quite a moniker. Yes. And at which point my editor was quiet for a second, and she asked Bruce, have you ever Googled yourself? And I haven't. I, I Googled my company. Name yes. See, make sure that you know, I paid you the website, did a good job. But I never really Googled my name. So I Googled my name, and sure enough, on, on programs just like this over the years, because we have a very big orchid show that's coming up February 26th, 27th, and 28th in okay. San Francisco called the Pacific Orchid Exposition. And so, Joanne, if you're looking for a quick little trip to the beautiful city of San Francisco, <laughs> in the next week or so, oh. <laughs> I recommend coming to the Pacific Orchid Exposition because it's really the best. It's not. It's the best orchid show in the United States. Okay. So, and you called it, and it's a good time to come in it's between the it's february 26th to the 28th right here in san francisco at fort mason and it's fun and, and it's exciting and you can buy almost every kind of orchid you could possibly possibly ever dream about okay. anyway because of this show i'm on tv and the radio a lot every year for the last 20 years i'm on tv for the show and so i'm when i'm introduced like tonight when i was introduced I'm so worried about remembering, like, for example, the, the, the dates for the Orchid Show and, 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 and your name and everything else <laughs> that I always forget. I, I, don't, I never really listen. And so sure enough, all these years, they've been calling me the Orchid Whisperer. There since that, since that moniker came out. And I went back and looked. I was surprised myself. Like, I was on The View and The View by the Bay and all that stuff. And sure enough, they introduced me that way. I couldn't believe it. And at that point, my wife was kicking me so hard and saying, Bruce, I don't care what they call you. Come home with the check. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Get writing that book. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. I said, yes, ma'am. And so I said, okay, call me whatever you want to. And I'll just write. I wrote the book. And the book has been very, very, very successful. I think it's actually right now as we speak, it's sold out in the United States on Amazon and stuff. I just checked before we started this broadcast. I think you guys have four or five or six copies left in Canada. Yes. Uh, the Orchid Whisperer. And it's also available in an ebook. But everybody likes to get the paperback. I know. I went and did the I did the ebook and I'm regretting it because uh it's just harder to flip back and forth, you know. That's um, what people were saying. Yeah. Like, so many people use it as a reference. So many yes. people use it as a reference that they um they didn't want to get there and people have been bringing it into the greenhouses and stuff and 
And uh, everybody, the book is very much, much more popular than that. Well, I'm very blessed. Oh, well, that's great. Well, I thank you so much for for joining us. And you did agree. I I hope you still do, um, because we talked a lot about the basics tonight. So I was hoping to have you back in in a few months and have, we'll talk about more of the the, uh, advanced tips. How's that? And some of the advanced orchids. And Joanne, I'll make you a date. And then in the meantime... You do something for me. You find out what kind of local orchids grow in your area. I will. And so when I call you up, I'll have that information. Excellent. I always like to know what's growing in certain areas. Okay. People, so. Well. Out the crowd was growing outside. Okay. I will definitely look that up. And you have a date. I've had a lot of fun today, and thank you so much for having me. You're talk. welcome. Thank you as well. Thank you very much, okay. Bruce, and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much.